All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, here at episode number two of Compounding Sense, where we like to talk about mentorship uh, for young people in the areas of health, finance, education, career, and personal development. Today, I have a very special guest, my former high school geometry teacher. Um, more importantly, he's a really good family friend of mine and someone that I thought that could bring a really good uh, perspective to a lot of topics that we're going to discuss today. Um, so Jorge, welcome to the website. Welcome to the show. Um, yeah, if you'd like to just talk a little bit about yourself, where you're located, what you're doing, um, so the viewers can get a little bit of an idea of uh, who you are. Cool. Yes, it's, it's kind of funny. It is coming full circle. Um, when I used to you know, your his brother, uh, Brett, is my best friend. And so um, Nate's always been around um, since he was little. So it's, it's funny, full circle. I taught him. And now here we are, you know, kind of doing this episode. So um, I grew up in Northwest Indiana. I went to IU Bloomington and used to be a high school math teacher. I transitioned out of teaching, um, but still in education. So um, I now work in higher ed. I work at the university level and I'm in career development. I have a, a family. I have three kids, just had my third one. Uh, she's five months old. And I, my wife and I, we are real estate investors. So we have um, six units that we own personally. And then within the family, like I manage my brother's two, and then I consult on my dad's four. So Within the family, there's 12 that um, I've kind of played a major role in systematizing and trying to be as efficient as possible. So um, my personal passions are talking financial literacy, um, real estate. <clears throat> I just feel like it gives so many more options. Um, I'm all about financial independence, and uh, my goal is to work because I want to, not because I have to. And so um, it's give so far, having that flexibility has given my wife and I a lot of options, which we can dig into. Yeah, and so uh, speaking of that transition from teaching to higher ed, um, you know, I think the how and the why uh, is so important with anything. Career change is a very hot topic for young professionals. And, you know, for guy, you know, people like me, like I'm 24, I don't really want to, you know, I really don't know what I want to do with my life. So, you know, if you could talk about the how and the why from transitioning from teaching to uh, higher ed administration. Yeah. So somebody like literally you can ask me, what do you want to be when I, I grow up? And I still don't know. And I, yeah. I complete, I think that that's totally okay. Um, I remember that there used to be a lot of pressure on myself to, and it's probably internally, like I think society says that pick a job. Like we always get asked the question when we're little, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that's just, it's so much pressure, um, especially when being a first gen, like college student, it's like, I don't know what I don't know. And yeah. I don't know what types of jobs are even are available. And so I think we need to be asking the question, like, what types of skills do you want to develop um, instead of who, who do you want to be or, or what do you want to do when you grow up? It's got to be what skills do you want to um, really develop 
and use throughout your career. And so I think, you know, when I was teaching, there's so many transferable skills, uh, building relationships, having good communication strategies, being relatable, um, presenting material in a way that's engaging and exciting, like all those things are super transferable. And I got to practice every single day uh, with over a hundred students a day, over a hundred people a day. And so um, I absolutely loved the students. Like that wasn't the reason I got out of teaching. Um, it was honestly like the adults. <laughs> I, had, I had five yeah. principals in, in five years teaching. Um, so that's just like, it's a lot of turnover. Um, there wasn't a lot of stability there. And so, you know, I just wanted something that I can kind of control um, and give me more flexibility. And, um, and then I started having a family and I needed to look at like benefit packages too and start thinking about, you know, my future. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having to switch careers uh, at all. I, I love when I have students that come to my office and, you know, their first years, and they're like, you know, I don't know what I want to do. My, my advice is get involved, like practice, join clubs, student organizations, um, take part-time jobs that are potentially related to a field that you're interested in. Um, yeah, just do it all, do as much as you can. And if you don't like something, don't feel like you need to continue doing it. Like I have seniors and by that time, it's kind of late that come into my office and they're like, you know, I'm not really loving it, but if I change my major now, then I'm going to be graduating another two years. I'm going to be tens of thousands of dollars more in debt. And so, um, yeah, start early, start often, get involved. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, I was probably one of those seniors because I, I did a couple of internships in college and I realized like I studied law and public policy you know, interned like in the legal field in Spain. And then I did some political stuff in DC and I realized, okay, that's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to make an impact. And so that's kind of how I was just like, okay, well, I guess I'll move to Korea. Um, it's a different experience. And like you said, it's a matter of, you know, trial and error. Um, and, you know, you talk about the students and I agree, like I, love engaging with the students. And so it's one of those things that uh, you talk about control and that is something I'm really passionate about. Like, I like the idea that, you know, my work depends on the effort I put in, in, in the time and the energy. There's not many outside influences. Like I'm the one in the classroom. So, uh, you know, when you talk about control, that's something that I, I really care about. And I think a lot of you know young professionals care about, and so in this transition, you know you're doing your master's degree, uh, and how did you feel like your master's degree prepare you uh, for that transition? Yeah, so I you know I was teaching full time for five years, and so when I went back from my master's program, I was the oldest person in my class. Um, a lot were coming right out of undergrad, so a lot of my classmates were 22, 23, and I was maybe 27, 28. Um, I think for me personally, it was, it was so much easier uh, to go back after having full-time work experience. And, and I think it was the same for my peers that were even one or two years working full-time. 
Whereas my peers that went straight out of undergrad, they struggled. Like they struggled pretty badly because they weren't used to the rigors of working 40 to 50 plus hours a week. Um, and so when so much was being demanded of them, they struggled to adjust. And that's in their mental health, um, their physical health. Like overall, it, it was so much easier for me because I'd already been working 50 hours a week. I already had a kid. I was used to sleeping five to six hours a week or uh, sorry, a day. Um, and so it was just so much easier. I knew that I didn't really have to worry about doing $3 Thursdays, $2 Tuesdays anymore. Yeah. It was like, I, I, I'm just going to focus on my work, what I need to do, becoming a better professional. Um, yeah, there's just a lot less stress as well. And, and I think there's also something to say with, I had a certain amount of FU money. Have you, are you familiar with that? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I definitely undergrad at IU. I saw a lot of that. And, um, yeah, that, that happens. Yeah. So, so the having some FU money is, is essentially, it means that if something were to happen, um, let's say I, I, uh, let me give you an example. I had, I wanted to get some experiences <clears throat> in, in different areas within higher ed. So that there's, there's so many different areas within higher ed. You could do like residential life, admissions, career development, um, student affairs, which is, you know, more of like your trio programs, just like overall resources and, and support. Um, there's institutional advancement, which is like fundraising. So all that to say, there's a lots of different areas that I, that I wanted to try. I wanted to make sure that my next move, I was being intentional and I was really going to like what I, what I did. And so I had some folks that asked like some supervisors who recognized that I did really good work and in different functional areas, I was say, Hey, you know, like come work for us. Um, and it sounded enticing. And so I actually, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And they said, well, we'll be able to pay you 10 bucks an hour. And if I would have been pressed for money, I would have said, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it. 10 bucks is better than nothing. Um, but at this point in my life, like time is so much more valuable than, than money. And so I had the FU money. So essentially like the savings, the investments behind me to say, yeah, actually $10 is not going to work for me. Um, I'm going to need at least 18. And literally 30 minutes later, she was like, yeah, fine. So that I automatically got, what is that? An 80% increase. Um, yeah for just asking the question or being bold enough to say, no, thank you. Like, thanks, but no thanks. And so that's another reason why I'm just so passionate about financial literacy is because it gives you that flexibility to say no to things that are not worth your time um, and really have some, uh, some muscle behind what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, that's something luckily I, I learned early on. Um, you know, for the viewers, I'm the youngest of four. I have three older brothers and, you know, they were constantly telling me about these things. And, you know, for me, it was like, after I taught a full year, you know, the company I was working at, they go, oh, like you want to start next week, start your second contract. 
And I was like, no, I'm actually like, I want one month vacation. Um, I'm going back to America to see my family. And they were just like, okay, well, it's not going to be paid. And I'm like, that's fine. I just want the time. And so they were kind of taken back. They're okay. This guy's like serious. Um, so I felt like the ball was in my court in a way that I'm just like, okay, like you can say these things and you know, they don't affect me. Um, and you know, in private lessons here, like I've had students, uh, adults and they say, oh, we'll pay you $10 an hour. And between me working full-time, working on the website, uh, doing my graduate work, $10 an hour is just no. So like you said, it's like, if you just throw a price out there, you never know what's going to happen. And I, I feel like a lot of young people think, you know, I feel like the older generation, they say, oh, well, you should be grateful. You know, you should be, uh, which I, I think you should be, but to an extent, you need to kind of stand up and, you know, evaluate what you're worth and what your time is worth. Because I like how you said, like, time is money and you value your time more uh, now. And yeah, I think that's a really good point that you made. And I think it's something that uh, it's a topic more and more talked about. So, you know, we talk about this, you know, this passion for, for, uh, for kids and working with them, you know, outside of the, you know, the education space, like what does motivate you? Because I think motivation, it's, people like to talk about it, but when we talk about the details of the how and the why, what motivates you, I think there's misconceptions. And I think money is such a, it's a good motivator, but it's not the end all be all. Like you can look at all these examples, um, you know, in, in Hollywood and in other areas where people have all the money in the world and they're still not happy. And so if you could talk about like what motivates you, uh, I think that would be really, uh, really insightful. Yeah, so um, it's, it's a complicated question to a simple answer. It's like, um, I think of money just as a tool. Like, it's just, it's just a tool to, I guess, really, it's a tool that helps me do the work that I, that I want. Um, so my mo main motivation is creating a legacy. And so that, that legacy is absolutely within my family unit. Like that's what's most important. Um, I was able to have parental leave for the first time. And like, ha I had 12 weeks of paid parental leave, which is unheard of in the States. Um, yeah. And so me having that, it was, that was the first time that I was able to spend an entire three months with my child as they're growing up. It made the, the home life so much easier because my wife's not as stressed that she has to take care of it all. And then we also have two other kids while she's, you know, nursing like that. It's a, it's an unbearable burden. Uh, it's, it's a tough burden to have without help. Um, and, and so family's my number one priority. And then two is like legacy. I want to make sure that I'm leaving this place better uh, than when I got here. And so I'm already starting to think about how I'm going to partner with, uh, our old institution, our, our alma mater, like I'm thinking about how I'm going to create an internship program um, at our high school and fund it. Like I want Katie and I to fully fund an internship program that gets involved, that touches with local businesses that's going to hire 
uh, interns, pay them uh, well so that these high school students can already start getting industry experience. Um, so I wanna make sure that overall, you know, I'm creating a, a better community around me, especially because I, I absolutely love Northwest Indiana. I love Hammond, Indiana. Um, and, and I wanna make sure that this community is better um, after, you know, I've been here. Yeah, and you know, I, to touch on that, I didn't realize how important, you know, Northwest Indiana meant to me until I went home <laughs> to visit. Um, that's kind of what spun up this idea of the website, um, going home and seeing the potential and seeing like, okay, what is needed? And, you know, I thought, I'm like, well, there's some talk about mentorship, but not in a way that I think is accessible and, you know, uh, friendly and attractive. I feel like a lot of it's like, oh, you know, it's from your school principal or, or something like that. And I feel like a lot of kids, they don't, I didn't identify it, that's for sure. And I felt like I was, you know, uh, you know, taught well and things. So I couldn't imagine some, you know, some kids that they don't have a support system. And I really do, I believe, you know, with you that, you know, it's all about making your community a better place. Um, and I think there's a quote. So uh, I read a lot about stoicism, which is an interesting philosophy. And it talks about, you know, do the work that needs to be done, right? Like it might not be the most attractive work. It might not be what everyone's into, but needs to be done. And so that's something that like always stuck with me. Uh, it's a quote I came across recently. So um, yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's, uh, you know, an internship foundation is incredible because they help so many like first gen students, students that, you know, they have the skills, but not might, they might not be able to finance an unpaid internship. Like I took out loans for an unpaid internship, which is ridiculous, but that's just a system right? we live in, right? Especially in politics and stuff. And so that's awesome. And uh, yeah, so go so hold on, on. Hold on. Let, me, let, me, let me respond yeah. to that. Um, you brought up stoicism. Have you ever heard of the Daily Stoic? Uh, it's a yeah, podcast. Ryan Holiday, listen to every yes. day. Yes, yeah, so, I, so that his podcast is amazing for, for that. Um, Another one, it, you're not there yet. Um, and maybe some of your viewers, probably most of your viewers are not yet parents, but he has another podcast, The Daily Dad. Daily Dad. Dude, it is absolutely incredible. I've got, I've got everyone I can on The Daily Dad. And even the, the Daily Stoic too, like they're quick five to 10 minute episodes that like spark your day right like you're you're getting in the in the in the correct mindset every single day and so my my drive to, to work is only 10 minutes long and it gets me going right away like it, it puts me in the right frame of mind um i i really love being in a, in a, a positive stable headspace um and try to be balanced all the time and so like stoicism yeah you know, I, I haven't gotten into like actually reading the books and whatnot yet yeah um but just the overall philosophy is it absolutely aligns with kind of my values. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, I listened to, because, uh, you know, I can't, it's really difficult for me to get books in Korea to get them to ship to Amazon. Some of them don't ship. And I was like, well, I'm not going to pay extra when I could just listen to the books on audible. So I've been using audible for two years now. And I mean, I just listened to the one book a month and, I remember I was listening to David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me, 
And then one of the recommendations was one of Ryan Holiday's book. There was, uh, it was one of his first ones. And then I read like, all right, listen to Obstacles Away. And then that's how I like found uh, his podcast. So yeah, his books are incredible. And I think uh, going back to control, it's for me, what I take a lot from stoicism is like, no matter what happens externally, like you have this, like, you have this control, like you have control of how you, you know, react to these situations. And so like, I, I journal every day, whether it's sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 10. And like, I always finish with like, I will deal with someone shitty today and that's okay. Cause in line, my line of work, I deal with kids that probably aren't the happiest. Like I deal with coworkers that, you know, they aren't the happiest at times. And so I think, and you're, you're right in that, in that mindset, um, it's so, it, it just sets the day, uh, right. And so, uh, yeah, awesome podcast. Everyone should go listen to it. Um, and yeah, going off that, uh, you know, you talk about routine, your drive to work, you listen to that. So I think routine is so important because uh, my work schedule, I work 2 to 10 p.m., which is very different. So when I moved to Korea, I was like in limbo. Um, I just couldn't get a right sleeping pattern. I was staying up till 4 a.m. and waking up at noon. I was like, I have to like get it right. Um, so the past like year, I've been really, really good. Like my Monday through Friday is it's I mean, it's scheduled. Um so I, as, as a man as busy you are with the family and real estate and, you know, uh, your, your work in higher ed, what does your daily routine look like? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's probably not as structured <clears throat> right now just because of where I'm at in life. Like I have three little kids that are my alarm. Um, and so pretty much whenever they're waking up, that's when I'm waking up. And so it's usually about like 645. I'm getting ready, getting them some breakfast. Um, you know, I, I work by eight, but that that routine of just the drive, the, the 10 minutes of space from, from my house to here, using that podcast time, um, you know, making the walk, you know, to my office, like that's that's really important to me. And I don't like to mess that up. Like I don't really, I don't make phone calls on the car. Um, I don't listen to music hardly ever. Um, and so you know, that little time to break it up is important. Um, I try to be super efficient. My, my supervisor is really great about making sure that your projects are done versus you need to, you know, what does she say? Uh, she says cheeks and seats. Um, she, yeah. she's, she's against cheeks and seats for, for eight and a half hours, right? Like she wants to make sure that you're a project focused person. Like you get, as long as you're getting your work done, it's done well and efficiently. Um, that's what's important. And so I make sure that I'm, that I'm super efficient in my work. So I don't have just a bunch of dead time. Um, and so, um, once I'm home, I mean, my typical, I don't, I don't have probably a structured routine as you, uh, like, like I said, right now, just where I'm at in my life, it's, it's hard to do when I have three kids four and under. So Definitely. And yeah, like you said, like our schedules are a lot different. Like I could really structure it, but you know, I, I like asking every guest this because it goes to show that you don't need a very structured routine. Like everyone has their own and sometimes it's not like it changes. Right. 
So I, I think it's, it's a question I really want to ask every guest because I'm so fascinated how people get things done with different routines. Um, yeah. And so I, I do, I do make sure that I'm in bed by 11 though. Um, because I, you know, when I was in college, like I used to have four to six hours for like on your finals weeks, but like usually I had six hours um, and, and I could work efficiently, you know, just fine off that. Um, but I like to be in bed by 11. Like I don't have my phone on me. I like to make sure that that's put away so that, you know, I really can get into a good deep sleep um, and I'm not distracted. And so um, in bed by 11, that's kind of my rule so that, you know, I can have a productive next day. So I guess that's the only way I would close out having a, some type of routine. But I think it goes to show like how important sleep is. Like my first semester of graduate school, I was kind of like this, you know, stereotypical, I'm, I'm just going to grind it out, work full time, do this. And I would like try to get everything done in these four days so I could hang out with my buddies on the weekends. And, you know, to an extent it worked, but it wasn't sustainable. Like it was, mm -hmm. I look back and it was three months of just like, like, I felt like I was anxious all the time. I was on edge. Um, I probably didn't have as much patience at work. I was, um, so I definitely noticed a difference and, you know, I, I feel like the quality of my work is better when I get seven hours of sleep versus five and a half. So, um, yeah, another book, like, uh, I think it's why we sleep by Matthew Walker's incredible book that, uh, I really enjoyed. And, um, yeah, like you said, like in college, you can get away with six. Yeah. Um, but I think once like the real world happens and responsibilities, I think it's uh, a little more difficult and going back to, you know, just your experience in teaching and education, what do you think the biggest challenges student, like the biggest challenge students face? So I know like, you know, pandemic is obviously different. Um, but I guess like from your experience, you've had a lot of years in the industry, now and so what's like is there an overarching challenge uh that kids face yeah i think that's a pretty easy question for me to, to give is because in american society we pushed and brainwashed college like that's the only way to be successful and it sounds um it sounds ironic that i'm the higher ed professional that's that's talking about maybe not all students need college um, but American society is like we, we brainwash kids into thinking that college is the only way to be successful. And so the, the biggest challenge that I think students face is this state of drift where they're doing kind of just what they're told and what they're expected to do by society standards um, instead of being really intentional about experiences that they're getting involved with, thinking about um, their future and their happiness like how how happy are they going to be and I don't even know that I like the word happy but like how fulfilled I think fulfilled is a better word um, just because I, I think the emotion of happiness is fickle like you can be you can be happy in the same day and you can be very angry in the same day but I can be fulfilled throughout my entire day even when I'm angry or frustrated, I can still feel fulfilled. Um, and so trying to find a career that gives you fulfillment 
um, finding a family life that gives you fulfillment, finding uh, friends that fulfill you, right? Like, I don't think that you should put all of your eggs in one basket. Like if, if you're making, if you're going to think that your career is going to fulfill you, it's going to lead to a place of burnout. If you're going to think that like your wife is going to fulfill absolutely every single need, that's a lot of pressure to put on one single person. Just like I wouldn't expect myself to be the end all be all for, you know, my partner. Like it, it's, it's going to have to be a balance of making sure that I'm intentional with, with what, I want in my life. And so trying to avoid the state of drift and really being intentional about the experiences that you're getting involved with, I think is, is one of the most crucial things that, that students should do and work on as soon as possible. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's tough because I feel like it's uh, the, the resources and information like, I think it's easier to point to like college. There's so much out there. There's already so many resources and like, I guess, attractive resources in a way. Like you could point to jobs like, oh, if you have a degree, you could do this. Whereas like, I feel like it's with trade school, it might be a little bit tougher with the, with the way like, like my generation, your generation, like specifically my generation now, like how they see success, right? They see a suit and tie every day. They don't see like dirty hands and like you have to shower as soon as you get home because you smell from your job. Like, like I think trade schools, I wish there was a way and there probably are like the way they can be more incorporated with uh, universities. Cause in high school, I think a lot of high schools now they have uh, you know, career centers and they have like trade schools come in and stuff. But at the university level, obviously that's not, you know, that's the opposite, right? And so I feel like trade schools are really, uh, they're not talked about as much. And I, that's like, one thing I want to do on the website is bring in people from different trades and like talk about, okay, if you're 18, what can you do now to prepare for these jobs? And, and I, you know, people talk about money and they say, oh, if you want to be rich, go to college. And I'm like, well, it really depends what you're studying. Because I could point to a lot of trade jobs that make triple the amount I do, and they're in a lot less debt. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, trade schools, it's, I, I think they're coming back, and I, I feel like now the, the shift is happening. Um, and then, I guess, one, you know, still staying on students, like, I was a first-generation student, you were, you know, had, like what specifically like how could I guess what is the challenge facing them like is it different is it because for me I it was tough for me I remember there's times where like I didn't specifically feel like I fit in obviously finance plays a big role and so I feel like for everyone it might be different but from your experience like is there specifically like a trend that you saw dealing with first generation students that um you know, uh, a challenge that they were facing? Yo, for, great question. Um, I first want to just touch on, on the trade school thing is I, I do think that that community colleges are doing an amazing job of, of getting involved in the trades early. Um, community colleges have been, they've had this stigma around it that if you go to a community college, you're not as smart or you're not as established. And 
you know, I, I truly am a proponent for community colleges. You're going to get into a lot less debt. You're going to work on your, your gen, gen eds uh, for that. And you, there's going to be a lot more personal touch, I think, um, because the professors that are teaching at the community college level are not expected to also be doing research. Whereas when you're a, at a four-year institution, and especially your, I don't know a better way to say this, but your power five conferences, like your, your big tens, your, your SECs, ACCs, et cetera, yeah. um, professors there are expected to be doing research, expected to be publishing journals. Um, and so I'm not gonna say that that's all professors, but um, a lot of professors, that's their main gig at four-year institutions. That's their main gig and teaching is a side thing. Whereas at community colleges, you're gonna have a lot more personal relationships uh, with your students. They're gonna be a lot more attentive uh, to your needs. And so, um, yeah, so let's, so let's get back to, to, to kind of the first gen thing. Um, I was, and I don't, I think I am a first gen. Like my dad, he, he it took him, 10 plus years to get his degree and he actually never used it. So, um, and, and so by the, and my mom, you know, she just had a certificate like way later in life. And so I, I do consistently see, cause I work with a lot of first gen students. I think at PNW we have um, 40, 40% of our students are on the Pell Grant eligible. Um, that was the same thing at IEPY as well. And so, um, one of the biggest things that 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 challenges that they're facing is again they, they don't know what they don't know um i remember being a first year student i didn't know what the hell a registrar was i didn't know what a bursar was like what what kind of names are we using um in order to describe these offices that would make it very difficult to better understand your financial package or how to actually um get registered for classes. Um, not knowing the types of resources that are available to students. Um, those, are, those are things where, where students struggle is a lot of times when, when you're first gen, you have to, you don't have anybody that you've, that have come before you. And so there's, there's definitely a level of privilege there. Um, there it, privilege doesn't have to necessarily uh, be a racial thing. It, it, it could absolutely be a class thing as well. It could be a social capital thing as well. And so when you're, when you don't have folks in your circle that have had a degree um, that could tell you types of jobs that are available, it makes it a lot harder to figure out, you know, what types of careers are out there. Um, who do I go to when I need help in a course? Um, or who do I go to when I need to feel like I need to belong. Like sense of belonging is one of the most crucial aspects of keeping a student retained. It's sense of belonging, it's academic integrations, like making sure that they're you know, doing well academically. Um, so those are the two of the biggest things in order to make sure that the student stays retained and actually graduates. And, you know, I think universities, e even like in, in the sense of like college and university, like the differences between like, are you a student that works part-time? Like, do you live at home? Do you have other people to take care of? Whereas right. I saw, don't remember specifically, but I felt like I saw a couple of studies um, that like 
you know, students that stayed home were more likely to drop out because of those kind of external things going on. Whereas students that went away to school, um, it was a little bit easier to maybe, you know, if you're not around that stuff 24 seven, a little easier to block. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think staying home and going to school I don't even know if I would have been able to do it because it, it's just, it's so different. You're not on uh, IU Bloomington campus. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like when you're at some of these big universities, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to stay in school so I could party with my friends on the weekends. Like I want to stay in school so I could watch Yogi Ferrell on assembly hall. Like there's these things that I feel like encompass, you know, these big universities that's like, well, yeah, I want to stay here because of X, Y, Z. I like living on my own. Whereas some of, you know, um, like the satellite schools, it might be harder for them to convince, you know, or not necessarily convince, but for students, it might be harder to be motivated to stay in some of those schools. Um, so yeah, sense of belonging, I, I think is, it's a big one. I think it's, you know, for the listeners that are young professionals, I feel like it applies to your, your job as well. Like if you work at a big, oh, yeah. you know, if you're in the city working at a big consulting firm and you look around you and, you know, you can't identify with anybody to the left or right of you, I feel like it's hard to kind of wake up, work 50 hours, commute an hour to the city. You know, I feel like all those things, um, it becomes difficult to just throw those things to the side and be like, well, I'm, I'm working for the greater good. I feel like it's, there needs to be more there. Um, oh yeah, having, yeah. having a work-life balance is critical. Um, and that's where having that sense of belonging plays a role is if you don't have a good work-life balance, again, that's gonna lead to burnout. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. What does balance mean to you? Because I, I've come across like different podcasts and different experiences where some people say balance is, okay, from nine to five, I work, from five to 11, I do this. Where some people, you know, the, I guess the, the difference between quantity and quality when it comes to, to balance, like how do you perceive that? Yeah, um, I definitely prioritize the, the quality of the time that I'm spending with uh, the people I'm with. Um, so, I'm absolutely one that, that shuts it all off as soon as I leave the office. Um, like I don't have my, my work email on my phone. Um, anytime that I'm getting like a, maybe a text message outside of work it's, and it's related to work, it's, pretty, it's usually just a pretty quick text and like I'm done. Um, when I'm in front of my kids, I wanna make sure that they know that I'm 100% here um, with them in the moment. And so, you know, balance is making sure that I'm giving most of myself, if not all of myself, to what I've, whatever I'm involved in, whether that's here at work, um, whether that's at, you know, in my real estate life, um, that I'm making sure that I'm providing really quality housing, um, or if it's in my family. And so, and I don't think it has to be the same every single day. Like, it, you know, some days are, like if I had, like I just had a rental that um, you know, had some turnover and so I needed to fix it up. And so like my family, you know, they, they didn't see me as much. Um, but when I did see them, I was hundred percent there. 
um, and involved and not like checking my phone or looking at TV. It was, you know, we're playing, we're doing stuff. Um, and so there, there's going to be a little bit of push and pull, you know, depending on what's going on. Like sometimes I might have uh, more time that I need to dedicate to work. Um, maybe there's times where I need to dedicate more time to my family. And so I, I think it just depends. Um, but as, again, I think it goes back to as long as I still feel a sense of fulfillment in whatever I'm doing, that's where I feel the, the best balance. Okay. So um, you mentioned, you know, turning off, you know, not having the work email um, on your phone, you know, sending those quick texts. Like I, I struggle with this personally. And I mean, my job doesn't contact me outside my nine to five or two to 10 night for me, but you know, what kind of, do you have any tips, tools, like for people that struggle to just shut it off? Yeah. So I think first it's being very transparent in your relationships. Um, so like at work, like they pretty much know that if they're going to reach out to me, whether it's on Slack, um, whether it's on email, that they know that they're not going to get a response from me or to not expect one. And so I made sure to set that boundary from, from day one. And even if I didn't, like, let's say that, that somebody's listening, they're like, oh, I haven't done that yet. So I'm screwed. And I can never have that type of balance again. It's like, no, like, just have a real conversation with your peers and say, you know, hey, guys, like, I've, I've been really struggling with, with letting my work life spill into my family or friend's life. And um, I want to make sure that I'm going to create a better sense of balance. Uh, so from here on out, like, I'm going to make sure that I'm taking my work email off my phone. Um, and when I'm here at work, like I'm absolutely 100% involved. But when I get home, uh, you know, please just know that I'm going to, I'll respond uh, tomorrow. And so yeah. I don't have the, 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 work, the work email. Um, and I do, you know, one little caveat is that like I specifically chose an industry where there's not an emergency. Like if I don't answer something, it's not an emergency. Um, so that's going to be different if you're, you know, a doctor or if you're um, somebody that has to be at, at the ready. Like if you're a realtor, you're going to need to be at the ready at all times. And so yeah. I don't know that I have a perfect answer for, for those types of folks. Uh, but for, for folks that do have the actual option to do so, um, being very transparent with those around you is probably my, my best advice. Yeah, no, yeah, I, thought, I think there's some really good uh, tips and tools that I think, yeah, setting boundaries is a big one right off the bat. And um, yeah, I think it's really, really good one. So uh, a question I like to ask every guest is, you know, 18 year old, they don't, not just any 18 year old fresh out of high school, you had to give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, best piece of advice is to, First off, take care of yourself. Um, make sure that you are in a, in a great, stable sense of mind, like you're prioritizing your, your personal development um, because it, it, if you're gonna start getting involved in your career and you're not, you still have some things that you need to work through, um, it's gonna be important that you take care of that earlier uh, than later. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the product of somebody that, did not deal with their shit until a lot later in life, which 
resulted in a somewhat fractured relationship that I wish I could have had um, when I was a kid. It's gotten a lot better since they went and, and, seen, and gotten therapy. Um, and so make sure that you're, that you're mentally focused and, and you're you know, 100% present. Secondarily, it would be, like I said before, get involved, practice a bunch of things, see what your interests are. Um, and even if you're 100% dead set on, you know, like I, I was, I was, it was when I was in eight, when I was 18, it was like working with the youth and I was really good at math. So let's be a math teacher. Um, and so I wish I would have gotten into the classroom earlier. Like I would have practiced, um, I would have shadowed things like that. Who knows if I would have still been a math teacher, like I wouldn't take it away for the world. Like I absolutely loved it. Um, but who knows how my life would have been different. And, you know, that, that could be the, the same for others. Like who knows how your life could be different if you start having conversations uh, with folks in the industry um, through it's called informational interviews and career conversations that are only 15, 20 minutes long that you get to figure out, you know, what their day-to-day -day looks like and see if that's something that intrigues you. Yeah. And I, yeah, figuring your stuff out. Cause uh, like you said, once, you know, real world happens, it's really difficult to set things on pause and reevaluate that. Um, so one thing you wanted to talk about, you know, that I talked about in my first post was this idea of mentorship, like a lot of people think it has to be an official relationship. And from a mentor perspective, I think a lot of people think, you know, you need to have like an X amount of wealth or you need this job title to be a mentor. So um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? And, you know, uh, yeah. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So when I was reading through your, um, kind of intro and on why you got started, that was definitely something that stuck out to me and, um, I stuck out, stood out to me, um, is the idea of mentorship. It, it doesn't have to be official. It, it could be an unofficial one. Um, I don't know where I heard this quote before, but I loved it. And I'm going to continue using it is that, you only have to be 10% further than the, than the next person in order to be considered a mentor. Like, I, I don't consider myself a real estate guru by any means, um, but I do know a lot more than your average Joe. And so anybody that has conversation, that, that is interested, you know, I'm, I'm very open about how I got started, um, systems that I put in place in order to be more efficient um, in my work. And so, only being 10% further along, I think it is a great start to, to even being a mentor um, or even asking for, you know, some advice. Like, don't be afraid to, you know, ask for a little bit of, of help. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, right off the bat, you want to stay like, hey, will you be my mentor? Or, yeah. you know, hey, can I have three hours of your week every single week, right? Like that, that could be a lot for somebody to, to take on if they've never considered that before. Um, but make, but make sure that you're offering something as well. Like you're bringing something to the table as well. And um, that doesn't have to be like, let me pay you to be my mentor. Let me buy you lunch. It could just be as simple as, um, you know, hey, I know that you're super interested in X, Y, Z. I saw this article online that I thought that you might really like send it their way, right? Like that shows that it's not a one-way street. Like you're also investing your time and energy into this person as well. Um, or if you could be somebody that introduces others, 
right? Like that's a, that's a skill. Like that's a skill that, that you can be somebody that is a connector um, with other people. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it could be unofficial as long as, you know, it's, I think it should be kind of a, a mutually beneficial experience. And for some mentors, that benefit is just mentoring. It, it's, it's, you know, putting your hand out because you've uh, been helped in the past too. So it doesn't always have to be like, um, get an exchange of goods or services, but it could just be like having another relationship with, with somebody that's young and passionate about their work too. Yeah. And you know, that, that's an awesome quote, 10%. Like, cause you know, when I thought about, cause I was like, I knew I wanted to mentor like in, in a way, but I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not trying to be someone that's like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm this successful, you know, 20 something year old that just figured out some weird secret. Like for me, it was like, I felt like I navigated life a little bit better based on, you know, because I had a lot of influence. Like I had a lot of people pouring to me. And so, you know, I, I felt like that was something I, I kind of thought about. I'm like, okay, like, well, I guess I'm a little bit ahead in my mind about, you know, just life. So, and that's kind of how I thought about the website. It was just like somehow this online mentorship idea of like, yeah, maybe we're not meeting once a week or anything, but it's like, you get to watch these videos, you get to write in the comments, the forum. And, and so that's what like, I want to create the website into is like, because I think that's what turns off mentors is like you said, meeting three hours a week. Like there's tons of mentorship programs that are like, oh, you meet with this one person once a month, like it's very structured. And, you know, that's another meeting that person has to put on their calendar. Like, especially yeah. if they're really busy. And so for me, I was trying to find a way, like, how can I bring in these people without sucking them into another commitment? And, you know, and that's where I got this idea about the website. And um, yeah, I like the idea that you can't just walk up to someone and be like, be my mentor. You know, um, I don't think it comes off well. And I, I don't know if that ever works out in the long run. Um, so I like just the idea of bringing value in some way, either say, Hey, like look at this article, or maybe just being like, if you know, the person's busy and they're in that industry, be like, Hey, is there any way I could help you? Um, you know, I feel like just offering your, your time, if you don't have any of those skills yet, I think it's a great way to build skills, almost like a, I guess an unofficial internship, I guess mm -hmm. you could see it that way. Um, and then, you know, I, I talk about this in the post where I, I said schools and, you know, a lot of institutions do a really shitty job of preparing young adults for the realities of life. And, you know, when I wrote that piece, like I thought about specifically high school. Um, I think college too, but college is different. There's so many resources. But for me, when I thought about that, I thought about high school. So what were your thoughts about it agree disagree what are some things that you like to like things that you think the institutions do well things that they can improve on yeah so that stood out to me because in high school like again I didn't know what I what I, what I didn't know and so going from the bubble of a high school where I only graduated with 100 kids 
to IU Bloomington, where you know there are forty thousand people uh, on campus, um, students, and that's you know staff another five thousand. Um, it, it was overwhelming, and so I, I wish there was a way to transition it better. Um, in high school, like I wish there was better curriculum as well. Um, so I don't, I was a math teacher, but I don't, you speak to anyone these days, they're not going to remember the formulas that we, you know, poured into their head. Um, they're not going to make sure that they're using the X, Y, and Z axis, right? Like those aren't things yeah. that um, are a critical part of their day to day. I would have much rather have seen uh, a life skills course financial literacy course, um, where you are, are pouring into these folks that are going to be using these skills for the rest of their lives um, versus these check the box type, you know, tests um, or, or, you know, concepts that a student studies for a day, a week, and they're going to forget soon after. It's the same, it's, it's, it, the, the teachers don't have an even more enjoyable experience than you do. It's like, we're doing this every single year, right? Like it, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a cycle. We have to teach the exact same thing every single year. And sure, we're gonna change up the, um, some of the word problems and, and some of the projects to make sure that it is relatable to students. Um, but for the most part, you're on repeat. And so I'd much rather make sure that my time is spent preparing students for the, for the, the rigors of life, um, being prepared for adversity, um, rather than, you know, these made up type tests that students are going to forget soon after. Yeah. And I think even, you know, for me, even at the graduate level, there's like things that I learned in my first semester and I'm just like, I'm not going to use that ever again. And that's at the graduate level. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to look back at high school and some of those things and, you know, and I think a lot of the, you know, it's not the high school's fault. A lot of this written in the code and written in statute, like state legislature, like I, I'm sure it goes way beyond what, you know, principles can change. But I yeah. do think there is, there is definitely room to improve. Um, but yeah, and so going off that, I think, you know, nowadays we, we learn about life skills and uh, all these things. It comes from a lot of like social media, from podcasts from videos, um, books now, um, well, books have been around for a while, but there's more and more books about it. So if you could recommend one podcast, what would it be? Um, so we've already talked about Daily Dad and, and Daily Stoic. So those, those are some great ones. Those are top tier. My favorite one is the Total Life Freedom Podcast by Vincent, Vincent Puglisi. Um, fantastic um it, it's fairly new like he uh there's only like 200 um rate it's only rated 200 times right now but like literally all of them are five star like it, it's it's fantastic it talks about life skills it's it's essentially life skills by vincent um so he's a he's an entrepreneur um he started out as a photographer and him and his wife started out as like wedding photographers um but then saw that that's not really scalable um, right. Like that, that's a lot of human capital that you need to put into it. He has to be there daily. And so he started, he created um, essentially like a, a, a mentorship program um, 
and now he has you know over a hundred people. He does like um, masterminds. He has the daily the daily podcast, and those are quick five minute five minute podcasts. And so ranges from uh, life skills to entrepreneurship skills to family you know topics things like that. Um, but yeah, I love podcasts that are pretty quick hitters, like five, 10 minutes. Um, yeah, that, that would be my top one. And then what about uh, any book recommendations for, cause I think, you know, there's so many people that still read books, but also like for me, like I love listening to books. I think it's changed everything in terms of like knowledge and learning. So any, any book recommendations? Yeah, so I, I used to absolutely hate reading. <laughs> like I used to read what was assigned in high school and maybe like I, you know, I used to use like spark notes and whatnot. Um, it wasn't until like after I graduated college, where I actually started getting into reading more and, and focusing on personal development. Um, so being a lifelong learner is, is, a, is a skill that I picked up. And for some of your viewers that are younger, like it's never too late. It's never too late to get started. Um, so one, one book that I would definitely recommend is The Simple Path to Wealth um, by J.L. J. L. Collins. Um, it's also on a website. So he has his own blog. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but the book lays out so many different financial topics. Um, I didn't understand, like when I got my first real job, um, you know, teaching, I didn't know what a benefit package was. Like, I didn't know what a retirement fund was. I didn't know what a 3% match was. Like, I was absolutely lost. And so I only used to put 3% of my wages towards this retirement account. Um, I used to absolutely get killed by health insurance premiums. Like, I didn't understand any of that. And so um, after reading that book, I think I was like 25. Yeah, I think I was like 25. Um, I started going all in on investments, the stock market. I'm not an individual stock picker. Um, I just, I do what he recommended. And I did the, the VTSAX, Total Stock Market Index Fund. Um, in, in the past two years, I'm up 55% uh, or more. Actually, I think uh, the stock market's up 55%. Um, but yeah, I've been absolutely killing it. That's where I have a lot more freedom in my life. You know, my wife only works two days a week, so she's part-time. And she, we have that ability because I've gotten involved in real estate. Um, I've taken advantage of using my retirement funds. So, for example, I actually did the math yesterday. Um, in my two years of working here at Purdue, let's see, my, my checking account has seen a total of $132. So in two years of working here, I've only on paper made $132 because the, the rest of it all goes straight to my 403B and my 457 plants. And so I'm trying to max out 19,500 into each of those yep. accounts every single year um, because I'm trying to take advantage of um, tax advantage vehicles and my Roths, Roth IRAs, um, Roth 403Bs, things like that. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll definitely have to do another episode just about real estate 
and you know do a specific real estate and finance episodes. I think um, you know one I that's something I want to get into. Um, obviously, I can't even like hammer anything. I'm the worst at that. So I think even for people that are you know real estate, I guess like interested. I think the biggest worry is about you know well I'm not good with my hands. So how can I get mm-hmm. in real estate? I think that's a right. big uh, you know, a big thing that people maybe misconception, I don't know how much of a misconception it is. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be a really great, uh, topic for another episode. Uh, so today, uh, Jorge Lopez, I thought we had, we've had a really great conversation. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe we'll catch up here soon. And, uh, again, really thank you for coming on. And, uh, I, I think we brought a lot of value to the viewers. Yo, I appreciate it. Thank you.